Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. So a special episode this week, we presented at CPHR Alberta chapter this week. Uh, we talked about elevating recruitment in the HR functions. A lot of interesting nuggets. Hopefully you enjoy. Have a great week. Thank you. Um, Ajiri, thank you so much. That was, um, that was a wonderful introduction. And uh, thank you, everyone out there in audience land for joining us. Um, and of course, joined with me today is um, the man, the legend, Serge Boudreaux. Um, we wanted to give you a little bit more. Um, you know, that's all very business of, you know, who, what, what we do for a living. But, you know, with being in, uh, in this new world of COVID, um, you're joining me in my house. So let me, let me share just a little bit about who I am as a person at home. Um, these are my three beautiful children, my sons, uh, the, the guy in gray, handsome guy, Chandler is uh, 22 and he's at the University of Calgary. Um, the guy on the other end in the white shirt is Parker. He's, um, he's 21 um, and at the University of Calgary as well. Um, and then right beside me is my sweet Brooklyn. She is uh, just going into grade 11. She's going to be taking school um, online. Um, and I just want to share a little fun fact about um, my life at home. Uh, Brooklyn and I share a love of music. And so um, our, our little adventures included, um, we both love this band from the 90s um, called Fall Out Boy. So Brooke and I have flown to see them three times in two different countries and uh, it's just been you know she's having a daughter they say is like having a broke best friend (laughs) (laughs) we do all kinds of wonderful stuff together Um, speaking of daughters Serge you want to share with the oh look at this oh my goodness uh, yeah, so let's let's use a Fallout oh. reference. Uh, sugar, we're going down. Uh, yes. So, I I, I completely uh, agree with you. So, with COVID and everything that's happened, and I think this has been happening before. Before COVID, there's starting to be a blend of work, life, personal. So I think it's really important to show your true authentic self and who you really are. So yes, I'm the director at uh, Talent Acquisition at uh, Robots and Pencils. Yes, I'm on the uh, Recruitment Flex and we do multiple consulting things. But most importantly to me and where I get my energy is really from home. And if you look at the picture, uh, I'm very, very fortunate to have three beautiful, magnificent, intelligent, smart daughters. Um, And if you look at the middle, that's my five-year-old Mallory, who just started kindergarten a couple of, oh, I I guess it's a week ago now. Uh, Then uh, my wife and I are holding our identical twin daughters. So it's funny, this picture is a little bit older. They're 19 months. And this was done, I think, during Christmas last year. And I'm having a hard time differentiating who's who. So I'm going to guess I'm holding Annabelle and I can tell by the hair because she's got a little less hair. And uh, my lovely wife is holding Genevieve. Um, So she's got a little bit more hair, a little bit like she's got a little bit more weight. But so I call this picture the three sisters in front of the three sisters um, as the background of the picture. So 
Again, I'm, um, I'm very fortunate to have uh, a great partner that um, helps me work mm-hmm. from home as well. Uh, she's got a fledging career of her own, but I think when we look at blending personal and home and work, um, it, it's all about the tribe we surround ourselves, and that's where we get the energy. So that is us. I think now we want to talk yeah. a little bit what the learning objectives and what yeah. we're trying to accomplish out of this. So Shelly, take it over. Okay, cool. So we, we want to come up with three things um, to elevating recruitment in human resources. So we're going to start with um, a candid conversation with our friends in HR. Serge and I are going to uh, have what we call the open letter <laughs> to our friends in HR. Um, the second section, we're going to talk about uh, recruitment roles and, and really make sure we're all on the same page about uh, where recruitment is today, but also share with you where we believe the profession of recruitment is headed. And lastly, and I think equally important, is understanding recruitment metrics. So we're going to share with you what's in, what's out, um, and also what we believe to be really important as far as what you measure. So, so those are the three things we want to leave you with. Perfect, so back you. over to you, Serge. Yeah, so this is actually a picture of me, um, and this is why Zoom filters are amazing. Right? I look yeah. way better than that picture, but, uh, and this was actually, I'm a little bit older than 27, but let's just say that's what I am. Um, <laughs> to your point, Shelly, so I, I think, so both myself and Shelly are, are heavily focused on the recruitment side, and we've both worked with HR departments, and we really want to open up this discussion and kind of a letter we pen to to you guys. So I want to talk about the elephant in the room. I've worked with a lot of HR people and this is the common refrain that I've heard a lot is recruiting is actually the part of the job that they dislike the most. Some would actually say that they hate recruiting mm-hmm. and True. I just want to give you the message. That's okay. That's okay. Cause if I put that in perspective, mm-hmm. um, I, I respect HR tremendously, and I think the value that it brings to an organization is is, is 100%. Um, but the flip side, I could never be in HR outside of talent acquisition. I just don't have a passion for it. I really have a passion for the acquisition and working with people in the, in the candidate side. So that's really where my main focus. And if we look at what the key function of what recruitment and basically key attributes of someone that works in recruitment is they have to be target and goal driven. Um, They have to have a very large marketing focus. And most importantly, it's really, they need that sales expertise and experience. So really in reality, what I want to tell you, and um, you might not believe it or you might not feel the same and I don't want to generalize, but it's okay to admit that you hate recruiting. Uh, we're okay. Let's find a way to work together in a line. And this is where you can hire people that are talent acquisition professionals and just love it. This is their passion. Shelly, what's your thoughts? Am I going on the right route here? Yeah. You know, Serge, you and I have talked about this before because I ha- I've heard directly from um, HR leaders say that they hate it. They hate recruitment. That's okay. That's okay. Um, and, and so in my open letter to, so, so you're absolutely right. In my open letter to our friends in HR, I have one ask. Please do me a favor. 
please stop telling people that the entry level job into HR is to go into recruitment. It's not. As Serge was saying, it's different skill sets. What makes someone successful in recruitment is very different than what makes somebody successful as an HR professional. I know we kind of get lumped in or all all thrown in a blender, but if there was one thing I would ask from our friends is please stop viewing us as entry level. Serge, am I off there? No, I think you're you're completely bang on. And I think this is when we're hiring new people into recruitment. Let's take a look at outside um, a a different skill set. So this is where Mm -hmm. you should focus on people with maybe with a sales background, not someone that is their career long-term focus is to be an HR professional. And that's just our thoughts and my experience hiring uh, different uh, recruiters or Mm -hmm. talent acquisition professionals. But Mm -hmm. I think you're bang on. So, So on this same open letter, Serge, start share with us a bit, if you would, um, what belongs? What does belong if, if you've got a talent acquisition function? Um, what belongs in, in, that, in their house? Well, let's talk about the functions. Yeah, 100%, yeah. the functions of talent acquisition. And I'm going to go through quite a few, and there's more. So, But I, I just want to go through the key points. So one of the key things, the role of someone that is a talent acquisition professional is, is talent pipelining. Mm-hmm. And that might not make a lot of sense. What does talent pipeline mean in reality? Mm-hmm. And this is where a recruiter or a talent acquisition professional has a really good understanding of it. So mm-hmm. in a lot of organizations, what uh, they do is when they have a new role, they go out, they post a job and get a flux of new candidates. But in reality, right. we're ignoring tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of candidates, depending on how large your company is and how many applicants that you've had. And the ability to keep engaged with those candidates that have applied for other roles, and maybe they weren't a fit for that particular roles, but have very specific specific skill sets that match the role that you're looking for. And they might be great, and just there was something better. Uh, There was one person that was just better. That doesn't mean we should disqualify them for the future. So the key is is to really start focusing on those candidates that have already applied or you've already sourced and to engage them uh, and when we talk about marketing this is where that skill comes in because mm-hmm. uh, to give you an example at robots and pencils i created what we call a talent community on linkedin so everyone that applies for a job we invite them to a talent community and then we share content that is relevant to them so they keep engaged with our brand so when i am at a point that i need to hire someone i first look at who's applied in the past and who's in my database. So talent pipelining is a key critical role uh, function in talent acquisition. Agreed. The other one is talent acquisition technology, the understanding of it. So I might shock you here. Uh, So yeah, everybody put your seatbelt on. (laughs) Yeah, put your seatbelt. If your technology (laughs) is being chosen by finance, IT, or even HR for recruiting technology, you probably have really crappy recruitment technology. And in this day and age, it's Mm -hmm. so important because in reality, the candidate experience is is just so critical. And also the efficiency of a recruiter using a system that actually can assist them and drive the experience for the candidate is critical. So I see way too often, and I'm guaranteeing you, probably 90% of the people on this call have an applicant tracking system that is part of a full HRIS. And 
or a full ERP enterprise system. Mm -hmm. And the reason that is, is uh, when IT or finance is choosing a system is the ATS is thrown in as part of the system. Um, so yeah. there is so many examples of bad candidate experience because of a bad applicant tracking system, like the example of you entering your information and putting your resume again, like how annoying is that? So please, recruitment should own the technology that they will leverage. Uh, I think that is absolutely critical. Yeah. The other key point, social media. So there's corporate brand and mm -hmm. consumer brand, and that should be owned by marketing. But when we come to anything related to talent, that mm -hmm. should be owned by talent acquisition. So I'll give you an example, uh, Glassdoor. And, and so we might not consider Glassdoor social media, but I believe 100% it is social media because there's interaction between uh, the company and herself. And the way I look at it, recruiting owns the recruiting process. Um, mm -hmm. And usually Glassdoor is an indictment or a praise of the recruitment process. To give you an example, I, as a recruiter, promise, um, so I'm, I'm a job seeker and a recruiter promise a full day of cuddling with puppies when I start working. I'm like, that's amazing. I get to cuddle with puppies. Like, and I take the job. Then on the first day I come in, it's like, well, here's your two hour allotted to cuddle those puppies. I'm like, well, it's still pretty amazing, but you promised me a full day of cuddling puppies. So I am now no longer trusting the company as much. And this is where we see the reviews on Glassdoor being negative is sometimes an overpromise or not a real picture of what is actually right. working there. So I do definitely think that uh, we should own the social media aspect of it. Um, marketing and advertising. I'm going to go quickly on this. I spending 10 years at Workopolis and indeed I saw too many clients that did not have a real clue of how their money was being spent, what cost per click worked, what other levers they could put, how Facebook targeted ads, how Google AdWords. This is a key, key, key skill for recruiters in this day and age. And this should be owned by recruitment as they understand what the candidates are actually looking for. So the next one is employment brand Shelly. Who should own it? Can I take this? Yeah. yeah, you take it. Thank you, Serge. Um, I, um, I believe with my heart and soul that this belongs in talent acquisition. Uh, we need to uh, not only get our arms around it, but we need to own it. Uh, so what's interesting is even when we say employment brand, um, if I were to speak to 10 leaders, uh, you know, directors of HR, VP of HR, and ask them what it is, um, nine out of 10 are going to say that it's employment value proposition. It's not employment value proposition. Now, employment value proposition is important. Um, it's the underpinning of what you put on top um, it is, is what becomes employment brand. I think in its simplest terms, employment brand just simply means what do people from outside your company believe it's like to work there? That's, that's really what employment brand is. Now, how you go about controlling that message or either you, um, you own it. And so owning it means you've got a handle on how people perceive it. Because from the outside, uh, we know that the only people who know the truth are the employees that already work there. So employment brand 
um, when it is being managed becomes just that when you talk about the levers and knowing which levers to pull, when you talk about advertising, how do you advertise? Where do you advertise? What do you want to say? Um, employer brand is just that either you do nothing and it becomes, you know, confused with your, um, with your consumer brand or your company's brand or you put your arms around it and you understand the power of employment brand. Um, Serge, did I miss anything on employment brand? I think you got it bang on. Let's, okay. let's talk about diversity and inclusion. Who should own diversity and inclusion? Okay. So the question was, who should own it? And the answer to that, you know, I think you and I have had the distinct honor and privilege to to speak to some of the thought leaders, global thought leaders on diversity and inclusion. And what I have to agree 100% is who owns it is the CEO. Now, who will manage it? Typically, I think we see recruitment has a big part to play. Absolutely. In candidate selection, candidate attraction, employment brand has a lot to do with candidate attraction. Um, but if you don't have a CEO that is going to stand up and put their, um, their face and their money where they are, they own it is, is the short, short answer is the CEO needs to own it. The programs and getting everyone else on board. Yes. Those tasks will fall to your diversity and inclusion professional inside your organization. Recruitment's got a big role to play. And so does HR. Um, yeah. No, and I How agree with you. I 100% agree with you. And in reality, one of the messages that I've heard and I agree with it is if it's just a program within an organization, when times get tough, what do they cut? Programs. This has yeah. to be coming from the top and really driving down through all levels of the organization. So mm -hmm. I, I think like the message is if they're not on board, you're better off doing nothing. Uh, yeah, and that agreed. was a really hard message that I receive and, and I now agree with it. So if it's not mm -hmm. fully on board at every level in the organization, just don't do it. Focus on what you do well. Agreed. I'm with you. All right, let's talk about the roles in recruitment. Oh, so you're going to have- favorite topic. <laughs> Wait, there's different roles. So this is actually a picture of Shelly uh, that I, I have took that in one of her podcasts. Yeah. Uh, love the bangs. I think the bangs <laughs> are amazing. Uh, so Thank you. Thank let's, you. Let's talk. Because a lot of people in organizations think that basically recruitment is easy. It's just you post a job and people yeah. get... It's funny how much advice that I get from people in other parts of the organizations uh, showing me how to recruit. And I, I know it's the same for HR, but I mm -hmm. think there's very specific skill sets and roles that happen in our, our world. And the first one I want to talk about in, is recruitment and men's, or they're also called recruitment coordinators. Um, so honestly, most recruiters I have seen do more a recruitment and men role than actually being a recruiter. And I don't mean to be harsh with that. A lot of it is just the environment that they're coming in, how the organization has been structured. So basically what they're doing is what I call recruit process administration. So they're posting the job, candidates come in, booking the interview. They're, they're not physically actually recruiting. Um, 
in some organizations, they do have a person that's really focused on recruitment and men or coordination, and they basically do those tasks. But we're still seeing on the recruiter doing a lot of the admin tasks when it comes to just straight posting a job and waiting for those candidates to come in. So I am very, I want to be very cautious with this role, and I want to put this in perspective. In most organizations where I work and I am trying to automate this role. And the reason I'm trying to automate is not for anyone to lose their job. And that's not it. I think there's better value in the organization when we're talking about candidate experience and hiring manager experience that if you can automate um, a lot of the scheduling, a lot of the paperwork and the tools are out there, they're way more cost efficient. They reduce human error. So I do think this role is one that will be going away in most progressive organizations leveraged by technology. So that doesn't mean that anyone's going anywhere. It's just you have to focus on what's coming out next. So do read the book, Robot Proof Recruiter by mm-hmm. Katrina Collier, which we had on our show that talks a lot about how you can stand out and how you can change your approach to recruitment. Um, what's your thoughts here? Are you on the same page, Shelley, with this? Oh, one? yeah. So, Serge, you know, I think the one of the key indicators or one of the things that, that I look for um, when consulting to companies about recruitment process um, is – you know, if so, even if you ask yourself, if, if you're working on 30 or more open recs, you are recruitment coordinator, even though your title may be a recruiter. Um, it is humanly impossible for a recruiter to uh, effectively manage 30 open recs. And, and what I mean is 30 different positions. I'm not talking about um, you know, you've got a requisition to fill 30 of the same thing. Um, you know, and, and so I know, Serge, you've made a really good point recently as well that um, in some industries, and it, it does depend on the industry sector, right? So, so what's the number, do you think? If you're truly a recruiter, how many positions can somebody effectively be working on? Well, it depends the industry. And I look at it in my space and in, in the tech space, generally it's five to 10 is, is the yeah. maximum because I'm looking, I'm, I'm really looking for quality. I'm looking for people that will actually be yeah. uh, spending a lot of time recruiting and looking for that top talent. So, and again, it's something to be conscious of. I don't yeah. want to scare anyone, but this is one where we're seeing this role being automated quite a bit more. For sure. For sure. This one is an interesting one because it's the one I really, really like, and I think it's a really misunderstood one. So a sorcerer, Mm -hmm. so not a sorcerer, a sorcerer. (laughs) Um, so what a sourcer does in the recruitment space is, is, is very different. A lot of companies take a very entry level person and be like, okay, your job is here's a LinkedIn recruiter license. You go look for candidates and we're, we're basically spamming candidates all across the board. What a sourcer is actually a real profession of someone that has a, a, a like a skill. Uh, I relate this role to very similar as a private investigator. The digging they have to do to the ability to find the right person for the job is amazing. And I've seen sourcer find people that I never knew existed, especially in roles that are are, are very hard to fill or very hard to find. So um, it's a very specific skill set. I've interviewed or I've had um, people interview for this role where I test them by giving in basic information and having that person find me the name, the phone number, and the email address within 
in 30 minutes and they always accomplish and some of them accomplish it really quickly. If you ask mm -hmm. most straight recruiters and men's or most of the roles, this is not something they can do, but caution. This role is also looking at being automated. Uh, there is so many companies out there in HR, HR tech world that are doing some really cool stuff to find those people in, in different places. I, I do want to caution, I don't want to bash LinkedIn in any way. The LinkedIn recruiter license is one that we are relying way too much on. Because uh, mm -hmm. if you think about the type of talent you're looking for, and if you're a smaller or a company and you're competing against players that you don't uh you have a hard time convincing to work for your company this is where a really good sourcer finds them in different places where they're not used to getting approached so yeah. sourcer is definitely a critical role not a lot of organizations have it and it's one that's looking to be automated but a really good sourcer will never go anywhere there is the bad sourcers are going to be automated but there's always going to be the sourcer role for those really qualified and skilled people Am I right? Do you feel like the same, Shelley? So when I, it, it is an art. I think it's like an art form. I really do. Um, a great sourcer. Their mind is, it's an amazing thing. The one thing I would say though, great sourcers usually aren't that great at, or nor do they want to start building relationships. So perfect uh, move to our, our next uh, definition of the recruiter. And so um a great recruiter, I believe, has these essential core skills. They are first and foremost a salesperson. And so um, anybody who's in HR and is an HR professional probably cringes at the thought of having to make sales calls. Uh, what I mean by that, so some of the skills that are so um, parallel to sales rep would be um, imagine if you could, with the same level of energy and enthusiasm, repeat the, the same pitch, that is the pitch is why join your company, but I can do it. I can do it five times, 50 or 500 times. And even on my 501st time, I'm delivering it with the same enthusiasm and energy that I did on the first time. That is a sales skill. And if you don't have the passion for it, uh, you'll be exhausted by day two. <laughs> So yeah. that is the one thing. Um, the other thing is commercial awareness. Um, I am, I, I think, as a recruiter, endlessly curious. I learn more about what's really happening in the market from interviewing candidates, from talking to people, building relationships. That market intel and commercial awareness is a skill that recruiters have in spades because they are so plugged in. They know who moved to what company. Why did they leave? Um, they would know, you know, there's, there's a pattern here. Hey, we've got X number of people that are all looking from this company. Um, we all know what that means uh, in recruiters speak because we're so plugged into the market. Like we know what's happening. Um, so, so recruiters are really um, part sales, part um, maybe even supply chain. Because the other thing that we're, you know, if we have that commercial awareness, we also know supply and demand. We do. We have an understanding of, um, you know, like great supply chain people will tell you um, if, if there's um, a surplus of a certain product, we're the same thing. Um, and we are part sales. Um, the other thing I would say is um, the biggest distinction between, you know, why recruiters love recruiting um, is that we are eternal optimists. Um, you know, my 
my claim to fame as having interviewed 10,000 people in 25 years easily. I never, ever get tired of um, hearing their stories. I love listening. I love hearing about it. Um, And I, in my experience, believe that people underrepresent the things that they've done versus being a pessimist who is always trying to figure out, you know, what's their angle or, you know, candidates or liars. I've actually heard people say that. Horrifying. Um, so recruiters, what other, is there any other skill? Yeah. Um, I, I, talent I think that we, I missed there. Sir? I think you nailed it. I think there's like a, a marketing bent to it as well, but I think the, the, the key key thing is when you're looking to hire a recruiter and where I dig in deeper is can they build internal relationships with hiring oh, managers? Of course. Because one of the biggest challenges we mm-hmm. see in most organizations is the hiring manager doesn't have time for the recruiter, but they need the people. And we don't do a proper intake. We don't get all the information we need to actually find the right people. Then we present candidates that are not qualified because we don't know exactly what we're recruiting. So someone that can really build strong relationships with recruiters, I'm sorry, with hiring managers and get their buying is critical. But I never rate a recruiter on how the hiring managers feel about them because a really good recruiter is very persistent as well. Oh, yes. Not getting the information or the hiring manager is not booking the, not getting to book the interviews, not giving you the time. Like you need to be persistent because the candidate experience trumps all. So when you're interviewing people, you have to focus about how they feel about the candidate experience. And that means managing the hiring managers in that relationship so you can move and get that process along. So I think you, you hit it on the head. I think those is the one that I want to talk, like I want you to talk about and I'll add in is this is my favorite one because we both have a penchant for marketing and recruitment marketing is something that we're both passionate about. So what's your feeling on the recruitment marketer role, which is one that not a lot of companies do have, the larger might, but this Mm -hmm. I think is going to be a very important role moving forward. Tell me your thoughts. First of all, let me point out that this is not a picture of either Serge or I. Okay. Um, (laughs) It's not. Um, So the recruitment marketer. So this is, this is the future of recruitment. It really is. This is the future of recruitment. It is um, an individual. So, so this role, much like we, we take a page from our brothers and sisters in traditional marketing, um, and a lot of the things that they are doing are directly correlated and relevant to recruitment marketing. So for example, um, a, a recruitment marketing understands candidate behavior. They understand the candidate journey. They understand Um, If somebody is going to look for work, what are the events and where do we need to be? Um, They're great listeners as well. So when we talk about things like social listening in in the talent acquisition house where that rests, uh, recruitment marketers are totally plugged into where are where are they hanging out? What are they talking about? And how do we ensure that we get in front of them? Um, and, and it may be more uh, creative than typically just posting on a job board. But you still do need to understand, as you pointed out a minute ago there, Serge, um, you need to understand how um, recruitment marketing works, um, understanding the pay-per-click or the cost per applicant where and what tools to use, what levers to pull. Um, 
The other skill that a great recruitment marketer will have is how to write compelling copy and content. And that doesn't necessarily, content doesn't necessarily mean um, that you are having to write it all yourself because Serge, I'm going to hand the microphone over to you because when we talk about great content, I think that's something that um, you're, you're ahead by a century. Oh, I'm not sure about that. But when we talk about generation for organizations, there's so many creative ways. And I think when we look at COVID and I I think everyone's craving for authentic, like those days Mm -hmm. of corporate videos are are done. Stock photos. Stock photos. (laughs) Stock photos. Uh, That's a sign that you're you're having issues on your recruitment marketing side and not showing Mm -hmm. a true picture of what it is to work in your organization. This is where trends like user-generated contents, having internal people create content for your organizations, have someone do an Instagram takeover, leverage that content for future future use. These are all things when it comes to content creation and copywriting. To your point, is really right. Really writing compelling. Job ads and copies, something that a recruitment marketer needs to have. And again, then understanding uh, the tools that are out there, like being Google AdWords certified, being Facebook yeah. Blueprint certified, uh, like having all these tools in their back pocket is something that I think is very critical for a recruitment marketer. Uh, and it's something that if you're very interested, is one that you should definitely start leveraging your skill and enhancing your skill because these roles are very much the future, the future. of, of the, the one point that I want to differentiate consumer or like traditional uh, marketing recruitment mm-hmm. marketing What's is that? so if you take a look at it if I'm a consumer marketing and I'm selling soap I want to sell millions 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 of soaps as oh. recruitment marketing I want only quality because in reality going through 100 200 300 resumes as everyone in the line has done this <laughs> extremely painful maybe not for you Shelly you love going I know I'm weird but but I I, it's a lot of work I'd rather have 10 15 20 very targeted qualified candidates so a really good recruitment marketer understands this and focuses on quantity and making sure that the right candidates are flowing through the funnel so yeah that is what excellent point thank you thank you I'm glad you pointed that out so true so these are the roles in recruitment, uh-huh. and there's many more depending on the size of the organization. But these ones, to me and Shelly, are, I would say, the most critical ones. So uh-huh. the next one is, I'm going to let Shelly start on this one. Yeah, let's, this is our last yes. section. So let's talk about recruitment metrics. Yes. So, you know, I think we've been hearing about this. Certainly, um, I've been hearing about it for 25 years you know, recruitment metrics, key performance indicators. So, so we're going to give you our take on what's in, what's out, what's important, uh, what's not. Um, and so I'm going to start with um, cost per hire. Um, and so part of me says, you know, cost per hire is important. Uh, what it infers is that you have a budget. Um, and, and so with that, I think it's, I'm of a very different opinion than most maybe because cost per hire, I think is, is something to keep an eye on to make sure you're staying on budget. Again, you know, we've talked about it a couple of times already, understand where you're spending your money. What is it costing you? Can you be more effective um, in other ways, but know where your ROI is. Um, But when it comes to just simply taking Um, a blanket approach on our average cost per hire, I don't think it's informative. What it tells you is average. Well, so what? What are you going to do with that information? 
versus some roles. And again, you know, our friends in supply chain will tell you that, you know, if there is um, a, a worldwide shortage of steel, guess what? The price goes up. So cost per hire is going to be so much more if what the, the key talent that our companies need is in low, is in low availability and high demand, right? So it's, it's pure economics. I think that's the information uh, when you drill down per, per job and its availability. That's when cost per hire can be valuable. Serge, are you with me on this one or are we going to arm wrestle? Uh, we've argued over this one before. I think you brought me over to your side in the sense that I, I think you're right. I think the one caveat that I want to put out is like, there's you've got to be very efficient in how you're spending your money. And sometimes we yeah. spend money just for the sake of spending money because it's the easier way. Right. Uh, and if you're planning and, and getting your 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 department in line uh, and spending in the right places, you can reduce your cost per hire. But, and I think this to your point is more on budgeting. So yeah, I, I think we're on the same page. Okay. I, I want to talk about time to hire and time to fill and they're actually different things and I'll, I'll explain. So time to hire is actually from the candidate side. So from the minute they applied to the physical time, they, they got hired. Um, in reality, this one is one that I'm very conscious of because I see in too many organizations, what they do is start the interview process, be like, oh, we should get Jake from accounting to come in then. Let's get Susie from uh, sales to come in during the interview. So suddenly now we're at like seven interviews stretching over a month and a top talent has options. And really, if what you're doing is just adding different people to cover your, your, your behind, I forget on, we're on CPHR, I want to make sure I'm using the right word. Uh, you're covering your behind uh, by having additional people coming into the hiring process, yeah. giving no value to the candidate. And really, um, if it's taking too long, you're going to lose them. So the time to hire is very important to me. The time to fill is I'm on the fence. So the time to fill is the minute you start the requisition to the minute you have someone hired. This one, um, I think you want to be conscious of because you definitely, the time that someone is not in the seat can be a cost to the business, but also you don't want to rush in getting the wrong person just because you're trying to get that time faster. It's all about quality. That's what we're hired for is to bring excellent people to new organizations, not just fill a seat with a warm body. So let's be very conscious of the time to fill. The time to hire is all about your recruitment process. So you can directly control that. If you have the right person, you have to get them through the process quicker and more efficiently. And, and I understand we have different ways to, to assess skill, and, but this is where um, I think it's important on that end. Shelly, let's talk about turnover because like, is turnover okay, even a recruitment metric? Like what's, what's your okay, thoughts there? So, so turnover, I think is, um, is something we always, I, I think it needs to go right up to the top of the house um, because turnover is um, probably one of the things that's going to tell you when something's wrong. It's like a diagnostic. Um, if you've got 50% turnover, uh, that's a problem. Some industries, they're, they're cheering. So, so keep it in it. So I'll put a bit of a fence around it. Here's what I'd say. Here's, here's my take on, on turnover. Recruitment needs to own it if it is in turning over in the first 90 days. So it's, it's your puppy day example. You know, if recruiters have uh, brought people in and the job 
is not what they said it was going to be, people leave within the first 90 days. That should be on recruitment's head. Um, where I believe, so the 90 days is kind of where we're starting to blur the lines. And I think there needs to be the other side of the fence. And that is the, the direct supervisor, the leader of this, of this new hire. Um, if they are, it, so it's really about the percentage of turnover and when. That is what is, I believe, important to understand. Not so important, um, you know, again, different industries, turnover percentages, it, it varies, right? Um, but it's about when. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I think turnover, one of the things that I look at it is, is temperature in, within your organization. So yeah. if it's really off, there's either an issue with your recruitment process, your onboarding process. Is your manager right. not good? Is your culture bad? So these are all things that now you need to go into diagnostics of why your turnover is bad. And, and recruitment exactly. has has a role in it because we're bringing in the people. So I think that's, that's critical. So Shelly, we got five minutes. So I know <laughs> uh, we need Can to we talk blast about, through this. Our yeah. Favorite. Let's, let's talk we, about quality of hire. We each get to say our favorite. Yeah. You go to okay. your favorite way to measure okay. quality of hire. I'll go through mine and okay. we're done. Okay. Quality of hire. Um, and I'm going to give full credit here to uh, Mr. Tim Sackett, who is, of the podcast, HR Famous, uh, but his book also, The Talent Fix, uh, A Leader's Guide to Recruiting Great Talent. So he, when I read this, it was like, this is truly the measure of quality of hire. So many people abandon quality of hire because it's so complicated. This is really simple. First of all, recruiter accountability and hiring manager accountability. And it is just very simply divided equally. Great recruiters find good people and hiring managers accept those referrals. So for example, if, if you submitted um, 10 people and eight of those people the hiring manager accepted, that is an 80% acceptance rate. That's fantastic. That means you truly understand what the hiring leader is looking for. The hiring leader, on the other hand, will be held accountable for first year retention. So all we're really looking at is we take the number of candidates submitted um, that was accepted, uh, considered acceptable by the hiring manager, and we add it to percentage at 12 months, are they still employed? Just that simple. Retention. Are they still employed at 12 months? You take those two numbers and divide them by two, and you have your quality of first year hires. It's that simple. It's funny. You say simple 10 times, but you had to do the math in your head. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so I never claim to be an accountant. Never. Exactly. Well, I think this is very important, and I, I agree. There's so many different ways, and I do like that way. I think it gives you a really good picture. Uh, and, and throughout the years, I've tried different multiple ways. One of them is like correlating their performance review data. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is way too complicated. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know if it gives a true picture of it. So one that I started using, and it's from a book as well, and that's what's great about recruitment. There's so much information. There's so there many is. thought leaders, influencers that share their knowledge that you can get it. And this came from the book, Hiring Success from Jerome, uh, CEO at Smart Recruiters, who's going to be on our show very shortly uh, mm -hmm. as well. We're excited about that. Um, 
is the net hiring score, which is very similar to the net promoter score. Um, a lot of you are probably familiar or have heard of net promoter score. So basically what you do is after 90 days, you sent a survey to the candidate, basically rating their experience, how it's been working in the company. Then you send one to the hiring manager rating the candidate. And it's usually two questions on each side. Uh, and then when that score comes, basically when you get results, you create a score um, and usually the score, net promoter score is minus 50 to plus 50. Uh, usually if you want to be in the 20, 30 range, you're usually in pretty good shape. So, but again, we won't spend much time. We're running out of time here, but that is one that you should take a look at net hiring score, something I stole, something I'm starting to use it. I'm quite happy, but time will tell how effective it is. So, you know, we've gone through a ton of, We've gone through a ton of stuff. Uh, yeah. I really appreciate the listeners. And I'm going to leave you on one thing, Shelly, you can leave them. So in reality, what I want to tell everyone in recruitment is, or everyone in HR, everyone in recruitment is, recruitment is a very specific skill set. And you need to be very passionate about it to be successful. If you're not passionate about it, it's not something that you're going to excel like anything in life. So for our HR friends that don't like recruiting, uh, and you might like it, and you might, hey, I've, kudos, great for you, and I think that's awesome. But if you don't, it's not a bad thing to admit that you don't like it and get people that really thrive and mm-hmm. enjoy doing it. So that's my message on leaving. Uh, Shelly, I know for you, it's, tell me what's your last message. Okay, so again, just right back to the beginning. Um, if we could all just agree to please stop viewing recruitment as the entry level or the only way in to HR. It's not. So I think we've got the same message. You know, Serge, this has been fantastic. Um, thank you so much to Nicole and, and also to um, Arju, Arjeri, sorry, Arjuri. I can say your name. Um, thank you so much for the wonderful intro. Um, you can find me, Shelly, at Higher Value Inc. Um, I'm all over LinkedIn, a little bit on Facebook and Instagram, um, but you can find us there. And of course, our podcast is available um, everywhere. Spotify. It's available Apple. everywhere and the recruitmentflex.com. Yeah. And please do connect because I have something if you want to reach out to me, ask me a question. I was part, I was in the Guinness Book World Record when I was five, when I was 25. So if you're looking for Here's a conversation a starter, Nicole, it's a conversation starter. So thank you, Nicole. Thank you, everyone listening. I know uh, it's an hour of your lunchtime and we can blab on. So hopefully we gave you some value. So we'll leave you on that. Thank you. Wow, that was really mind blowing. <laughs> Thank you, Shelly and Serge. You know, um, really insightful. Um, we have some um, questions in the Q and A box. Um, I'll just um, read it out for you, and we'll see if we can address some of them before uh, we round up. Um, so we have from Mackenzie. Um, Mackenzie is asking. How do you recommend increasing the talent engagement for small businesses, less than 10 employees um, that may not have the resources to buy technology or outsource to um, HR consultants? Uh, I think um, Mackenzie went further to say specifically to track and keep people engaged to create the pipeline, you know. Shelly, can I start with this one? Yes. And I'll give you an ID. So what's great about this 
generation we're living in as well is there's so much technology that is basically almost nothing. So it's almost free. Yeah. Yeah. And if we think about like engaging with candidates and keeping them in, this is what I call a CRM. Uh, so a CRM is basically a way that you can put all your candidates. This is something that sales has been doing for years and very familiar. Uh, HubSpot is free. There's tons that you can load in your candidates from an Excel spreadsheet or however you're tracking them mm -hmm. and leveraging that tool to create drip campaigns that you're sending out information or reaching out to all the candidates with an email that's very mm -hmm. personalized to them. So that would be my first advice. There is a lot of free tools for small business. And I'll tell you why I think this because. I kind of run a small business. Shelly kind of runs a small business in the sense in what we do. And we leverage these tools. Like we leverage CRMs. We leverage. And you know what's interesting too? There's actually free ATS. Like, um, so Smart Recruiter has a free ATS option. Workable has a free. So there is great tools that are free that limit just based on volume. But for what I'm hearing here in McKenzie, um, your volume is yeah. low uh, as far as how many people in your organizations. This would be a perfect fit. So do research. Always Google free CRM, free tool. And if you want to reach out to myself or Shelly directly, yes, sure. uh, we can definitely help you because it's something we're both passionate about. Yeah, I would, I would just chime in on one more thing for you there, Mackenzie, and I would say um, the beauty of being with a company of 10 people and being able to look, you know, six months or a year from now is, is the fact that anything you do is going to be so incredibly authentic because you're not paying a consultant and you yes. don't have um, fancy anything. There is something so incredibly powerful about grabbing your iPhone and just interviewing one of your coworkers on what they love about working here. Oh, okay, that doesn't cost anything. <laughs> and what I will tell you is that it, it is so powerful. Um, I love free. Well, in, in and I know so does Surge. Like we love free. Yeah, yeah. And if you take a look at it, like everything I do on the recruitment flex is all with free tools, the great majority. Yes. All the posters and everything is like with Adobe uh, Spark where I edit directly from it. So your smartphone is such, such a powerful tool that you can do basically anything. And to your point, you can be really authentic. Doesn't mean yeah. the quality needs to be crap. It's still, you can still do really exactly. good stuff on your own. It's just taking the time and learning it is my advice there. Wow, awesome. Um, we have another question from an anonymous attendee. So uh, how can one develop a recruitment skill set that will stand out to tech companies? Um, I really want to make the jump and know um, I would be great, but I recruit in transport right now and I'm getting, I'm not, and I'm not getting interviews. Serge, you got to take this one. <laughs> yeah, so I'm in the tech space and uh, actually, so this is a, a challenge because I think there's the situation in the Calgary economy and the Alberta economy in general that a lot of people are looking to get in spaces that are, are, are faster growing or or have more opportunities. And the, the best advice that I can give in, in hiring recruiters itself, what I look for is curiosity and uh, and what I mean by that is people that have kept upgrading your skills. So if you can showcase, you want to be in tech, and if you can showcase in your resume um, 
that you understand what a full stack recruiter is, that you've taken some coding lessons, uh, all these things, if you can showcase that you have that knowledge, I will take a risk with it. But if your resume is only showing me I only have transportation, I know you coming in are going to struggle but it's because it's such a different world. But if you have shown the curiosity and the willingness to learn and really take your own personal time and get those skills like taking coding class, I'm not saying you need to be a coder, but you need to understand it and you need to understand the roles are in there is, is my advice on that end. Um, Shelly, what do you think? Uh, well, you know, like our, our message again is um, never before in the history of the human race has there been so much information available to you? And it's, you know, resumes are um, certainly, you know, it's your calling card, right? What have you done? Um, but how do you demonstrate? So get out there and get involved. Get involved. Like follow what's going on in uh, recruiting technology uh, groups on Facebook. And I will, if I could leave everyone with this, although I know we're all big fans of LinkedIn, there is far more hearty conversations going on on Facebook groups, which is something Serge introduced me to. I just assumed everybody, you know, industry people, but we're seeing an absolute almost drop like a rock in terms of really good conversations. So you got to get involved. And and not just passively, you've got to get involved. If If you're really set on moving into a new industry sector, get in the game. Start being yeah. part of the community. 100% agree. Thank you. Um, uh, I think we're almost running out of time, but uh, let me just quickly take this question. Uh, what is your take on recruiters uh, who go on LinkedIn uh, to look at the picture, like physical attributes of a candidate not the and not the profile of the candidate then use that, that <laughs> then use that as a then use that as a basis for shortlisting or not shortlisting the candidate i think um referring to what sex talk, <laughs> talked about saucers right maybe <laughs> yeah okay Shelly, take this one. Oh, you're gonna take it or am i <laughs> No, you're going to take oh, it. Oh, yeah. God. No, okay. So, you know, we touched on diversity and inclusion, right? Um, you cannot, like, if you don't even admit your own bias, you know what? Like, you're, you're there. That's what you just described is exactly bias. That is exactly discrimination, pure and simple. If you're looking at people's photos, that's kind of creepy, actually. Um, and you have no business calling yourself a recruiter. No. I, I, so I'm going to echo that. And in reality, I don't want to defend that in any way. In reality, um, that is not acceptable in the way we look at profiles of people is can you do the job? Uh, a picture should not be a definition, but it, it is, there is pictures on LinkedIn. I'm starting to see a lot more resumes with pictures, which is interesting in the yeah. sense that I've never gotten that before. We're becoming a very connected world. But this is, if your recruitment department, this is something they're doing, you need to nip that in the bud. And to your point, it's conscious, but there's also unconscious bias too. But what you're describing here is straight up conscious bias. So um, like the only advice for recruiters is don't do that. Like, don't do that. Go, go look at your LinkedIn else. profile. Just oh don't God. do that. Yeah. No, no. You, you, you might not look great too. So uh, in reality, <laughs> don't judge people. 
Okay, I'm so sorry, I won't be able to take any more questions, but we have a few more. Um, I think you can contact um, Shelly and search directly for some to answer some of your questions, but um, I want to thank Serge and, and Shelly on behalf of CPHR or Better at the Edmonton Chapter Committee uh, for such a great presentation and a great session, you know, just a reminder that um, you will receive the slides and the recording um, in the post session email that will be sent out tomorrow. And also uh, our next stop on the chapter tour will be um, October 8th. Um, and we'll be talking about managing performance from your dining room table. <laughs> it's going to be hosted by um, um, Grand Prairie chapter, you know, um, so uh, check the CPHR Learn and Connect page uh, for details and um, go ahead and register. You know, thank you once again, Serge and Shelley, and thank you all for attending. Sorry we took so much of your lunch time. Um, we really appreciate the time. Be safe and take care of yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On Pressbox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Press Box Access.